right? That's what we're called to. But, you know, never think that you're insignificant in the kingdom. God, you're significant uh, personally. Amen. Father, I just pray for people that may be having the issue with that struggle. We all struggle with that. We all struggle with that. Lord, that, that you really love us individually. And uh, we thank you for corporate, for the body, for the group, but we know that it's made up of individual lovers that are in love with you and that you're in love with them. And just bless everyone in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, got to go. Sermon. <clears throat> so we're on a series called Sermon on the Mount, and uh, you did the introduction a few weeks ago. And, and uh, the idea of this series is different than uh, a lot of our series, is, which are this one-month topical series. We're just going to take tar- time and look through the Sermon on the Mount kind of slowly, verse by verse, and allow it to steer uh, the topic, uh, the text to steer the topic. And, uh, uh, and the first time I talked was uh, basically on the book of, of Matthew, the general context. And, and uh, this week I'm going to kind of zero in more on the immediate context of the Sermon on the Mount. We've already looked at, uh, you know, Matthew 1 through 4 covers Jesus' birth, genealogy, uh, the story of his birth, and the ministry of John the Baptist. We're going to pick up this morning in chapter 4, verse 12 through 17. And I'm reading from the New King James. It goes like this. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness, have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And please keep in mind that one of the uh, primary purposes of this series is not only to communicate the information that I find in the text, and that's important, Oh, that's what sermons are supposed to do, right? <laughs> it's also to help you as individuals learn how to extract, if you will, or unpack information from verses. You know, so so listen and that keep that in mind as I say. Well, this is this is what this verse is talking about. Um, you can see how I got that out of the passage. All right, and that's a big part of it. I want to teach how to learn from scripture and not just teach about scripture. All right, does that make sense? And so we see in this, in this little uh, few verses, we see a number of transitions. Uh, there's a transition uh, from John the Baptist to Jesus the Messiah. And so in the book previously, this, they were talking, he was talking and, and about John the Baptist, but now the focus comes and turns to Jesus. John came to herald the coming of the Messiah, right? He, he came, he's prepare ye the way. Prepare ye the way. And that was his, 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 his call. That, the, that was the main message. Jesus is the way. John came to prepare the way, but Jesus came as the way. And so there's a major transition there. And uh, from the uh, commentary that I'm using, oh, it's by author, his last name is France. It says, John had preached the same message. In other words, John's message, what John preached, was the same thing Jesus preaches. Repentance, right? And baptism, and the kingdom of God. 
So he's the same, same content of message. John had preached the same message, but in Jesus' ministry, what for John was future became present. And God's kingdom became a reality. And so John was preaching, this is coming. You know, prepare for it's coming. And when Jesus steps onto the scene, it's come. All right? And, and, and so there's a change, there's a transition there, a change of the focus of the story, uh, a, a change of the, uh, the, the tense, if you would, uh, uh, in, in one sense. And there's also a transition from Nazareth to Galilee. So there's a geographic uh, transition. Yeah. <clears throat> we have a map uh, that, uh, uh, in one sense, it's a strategic move because John here, uh, we find out, was arrested and eventually uh, beheaded. And so the opposition to the new move of God uh, had already begun. And so there's political opposition. Later there's intense religious opposition. And so Jesus gets out of town. <laughs> but it's not nearly that. All right? There's, uh, it was actually a 40-mile hike. Nazareth is there on the bottom left, uh, kind of in the center of, of the... Uh, 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 life of the, in the region of, of the Jews. And then he, he goes all the way up to uh, the coast of the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum. And uh, that's the area of the Gentiles. And, um, uh, and we, we call it the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I've never been there. I'd love to go. Uh, I hope to someday. Uh, but it wasn't. It's not that big. It's like a. It's a good-sized lake, but it's nothing compared to Lake Michigan. Right? You can see the other side. Um, and oh, there was uh, fishing there. It's about a 40-mile uh, hike, so it'd be like walking from here to Vandalia. Uh, some of us drove down there. Uh, so it was. It was a move uh, geographically. It was a move strategically in that the opposition was rising. Uh, uh, but most of all, and this is the purpose that is revealed in Matthew, is that it was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And remember we talked about how Matthew is the, is the book, the Gospel, that functions most to transition from an Old Testament mindset set people that were familiar with the, the, the culture and the understanding of, of the Old Testament and Jewish uh, culture and Jewish religion and how that fits uh, with New Testament and the ministry of Jesus. How does Jesus fit into the Old Testament? How does the kingdom of how does Christianity uh, fit into the, the Old Testament? Now that we're, uh, it was written, there were already churches of all different sizes and shapes and different makeup of uh, ethnicities, and how does it fit to all that that was written before? And so Matthew is, is um, giving us some uh, crucial information here in that it was a fulfillment. Even this which would seem like just a natural adjustment from one town to another. That was significant, right? Because it fulfilled a specific um, prophecy, and it shows Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. And, as I spoke last time, as the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. There's a shift at the beginning of Christ's ministry to the Gentiles as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. All right? Not a departure from God's plan, as some people teach. And so there's a there's a there's a branch of theology that teaches that Jesus 
that the, 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 the whole deal with the Gentiles came after Israel rejected Jesus. All right? And some of you may know what I'm talking about. Some of you may not know what I'm talking about. But sometimes the Scripture sheds incredible light on the commentaries. Because right here we have at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, not the end, but at the beginning... Jesus moving from a very Jewish world to, to an area that the Jews didn't even consider Jewish. Not in contradiction to the Old Testament, but according to Matthew, this is what the Old Testament prophesied. This is the fulfillment. This is Jesus stepping into His, his role as the Messiah Going first. This is right at the beginning. Jesus' public ministry is right. It's just just now beginning. And he, where does he begin it? He begins it in, uh, with, the, with the Gentile in the area of the Gentiles. And so there's a shift, uh, uh, radical shifts going on. Jesus. Uh, this is a quote from a commentary uh, from a, a study Bible, Faith Life uh, Study Bible. It says Jesus begins his mission in the most ethnically and culturally diverse portion of Israel. Still part of the nation of Israel, the promised land, but the most ethnically and, and culturally diverse. The rest of the Jewish people viewed Galilee as only marginally Jewish. Jewish begins where he is most, uh, Jesus begins where he is most needed among the marginalized. And so we have a striking contrast in the kingdom of God. The kingdom, that, uh, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom that Jesus comes. You know, rather than remaining at the hub of Jewish culture and the Jewish world, Jesus intentionally departs um, and goes to the part of the country where nothing good comes from. He did that on purpose. But not only on purpose. You see, you have to understand that this wasn't just Jesus' decision. This is what God had prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before by the mouth of Isaiah. And what God had intended all the way back. This was the role of Messiah. This is the fulfillment of, of who, because Jesus is not just King of the Jews, but King of, of the world, of the universe, right? King of kings, Lord of lords, the Most High God. All right? and, and, and so His ministry begins uh, uh, demonstrating that. Um, uh, uh, so it's a striking contrast. Jesus came for those displaced, marginalized, looked down upon. He demonstrated that at the beginning of His ministry and He continues to minister in that way today. Right? What we learn here is something about the person of Jesus. What does it say about Jesus? If he chooses as a rabbi, beginning his ministry, not to stay in the center of Jewish culture, but go to the least Jewish part of the country. The part, nothing, it says something about Jesus, doesn't it? Right? You get to know Jesus a little bit, and you get to know the, the, the purpose, the calling of God. And so, how to bring this down to our own lives, do you feel marginalized? Are you from the wrong side of the track? Or do you feel that way? Are you in some way disqualified in your own eyes or the eyes of the others, of someone else? Right? This is the people, the Gentiles in Galilee. All the Jews wrote them off. And a lot of us struggle with that same dynamic in our lives. 
You know, that we don't qualify. We don't have the right history or background or education. We're not tall enough, pretty enough, smart enough. You know, and we think that disqualifies us because it disqualifies us in the world. But that doesn't disqualify you from the things of God or Jesus. In fact, it puts a big target right on you. Right? Because Jesus says, oh, that's the kind I'm looking for. Amen? It makes you his target. There's a transition from Jesus' private life to public ministry. In verse 17 it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so, previously we kind of saw uh, some of the, 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 the background, if you will, of Jesus' private life. But here there's a major shift and now it's, it's uh, presenting Jesus' public ministry in a simple outline, a very simplified outline, but I like it because it's simple. <laughs> uh, uh, in the book of Matthew, <clears throat> is, uh, that chapters 1 through 4, 16, is, is about the person of Jesus. kind of introduces who he is, where he came from. Matthew 4, 17 through 16 uh, comprises the proclamations of Jesus. So all of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is just the beginning of that. Uh, and that's what we're going to start uh, uh, talking through the, the proclamations. And then the, uh, Matthew 16 through 28 is the passion of Jesus, which includes his suffering and his death, uh, being arrested and crucified and the resurrection. So it's a, the person is the first part of the book. The middle part are the proclamations of the teaching. And the last part is the passion. And boy, isn't it great? They all start with P. So you can remember that. Um, and you remember that uh, in ancient times, even if you're writing a story about a person's life, and, and, and it's mostly in chronological order, the right way was not to be strictly chronological, but the right way is to organize the information and the events in a way that communicates the emphasis and the purpose of the book. And so we see here very clearly what Matthew's intention is in writing the Gospel is to talk about who Jesus is, the person of Jesus Christ, what he talked about, the proclamation and the passion, uh, uh, his purpose, if you will, coming to die uh, and, and to raise from the dead. And so uh, it gives us an understanding of the book and, and how this part of it fits in. The next part is the call of the disciples. Oh, and the emphasis of the book is Jesus. Obviously, the whole book is focused on the person of Jesus Christ. Um, the call of the disciples, so Matthew 4, 18 through 22 uh, from the New King James says, And Jesus walked by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And uh, then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So this phrase, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, is a very important uh, command or, or invitation that Jesus gives. And there's some things that we can learn from it. Follow me, uh, that, that phrase means come behind me. That makes sense. Follow me. Come behind me. Walk behind me. But more than that, it's a specific call to a more intimate 
an intentional relationship with Jesus Christ. So uh, he said, follow me, walk behind me, follow my ways. So it was a a call for a more intimate and intentional. They had to make a decision. It was an invitation that they had to choose to to follow him. And uh, this is from the commentary. It says, this would immediately suggest, in other words, the way that Jesus phrased this, the disciples, uh, these individuals knew what he was talking about. Uh, It would suggest... The, the disciples of a rabbi. He was calling them to be his disciples as a rabbi. And there were lots of rabbis in that day. Lot, those rabbis were named for a Jewish teacher. And, uh, and it says who literally... Um, so this suggests the disciple of a rabbi who literally followed him around to absorb his teaching. A good teacher would be expected to have a group of such followers. But Jesus calls his disciples not only to listen and to learn but to take an active part as fishers of men. And so uh, he, like the other rabbis, called individuals, and this calling was something that they understood that this meant, oh, don't just come and stay with me for a day uh, or an hour, uh, but follow me and become my disciples. And they willingly uh, entered into that relationship and became followers. And I learned that um, uh, rabbis would expect their, their students, their disciples, not only to memorize word for word what uh, the rabbi would teach, not just Jesus, but all the rabbis, their disciples would memorize word for word and, and were expected not only to be able to repeat what the rabbi taught, but even repeat it to the point where they would have the same intonation. So it would sound, they were a good disciple if when they repeated what the rabbi taught, they would emphasize the same words and, and it would sound, even the cadence, and the, the more closely they, they were able to repeat what the rabbi taught, that meant that the better disciple they were. And that, that's the type of relationship that Jesus was calling uh, these, these, these brothers into. And the traditional method, from what I've read, of uh, selecting disciples in rabbinical t- uh, time, in the ancient uh, time uh, that we're reading about, was to offer this to the best of students. And so a rabbi, uh, the better the rabbi, you know, he'd get the, the pick of the litter. <laughs> uh, he would have the choice of the highest students, like getting a scholarship in our, in our uh, uh, culture. And so the best students would get scholarships to the best schools. Well, the best students would get scholarships to follow the best rabbis. And the rabbis would only select. And then the second-tier rabbis would get second-tier students and, and, and however it worked out. Um, and usually they were selected when they were in, teen, when they were in their teens based on how well they had memorized the, the, the Old Testament. Uh, certainly the, the, the uh, books of Moses, but... But most more, if you're going to be a good disciple, you would have memorized the whole Old Testament. So we have a hard time memorizing verse. <laughs> um, so another striking contrast is here: Jesus calls these men while they were already in their career. They were fishermen. They were long past the age of being called. No doubt they had long given up the uh, um, maybe the desire, and their parents had you know written it off. Because being a rabbi was the most honored uh, career in that culture, all right? And, and so every parent you know, would hope that their children would grow up and be a rabbi. Um, kind of like we hope our children will grow up and be politicians. 
Uh, just doctors, right? You know, or lawyers, or I don't know, whatever. Uh, uh, I just hope they grow up and become whatever God wants them to be. But so, so the expectation, I mean, parents, you know, hey, they're just going to be hard laborers because they weren't smart enough. They didn't qualify. But Jesus comes as a striking contrast to the kingdom of God. They call these men well, they're, they're in their early 20s uh, and say, come follow me. I'm, I'm picking you. And so Jesus gives these men a second chance to have the most distinguished career of their culture. Uh, he gives unqualified people a second chance to become more than they could ever dream. Jesus gives unqualified people a chance to become more than they ever could dream. Jesus gives you a chance to become more than you could ever dream. That's how you understand Scripture. That's how you apply Scripture to your life. So the the application is, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you heard Him personally call you? Because He's calling. He hasn't stopped calling. He needs you to call. It's a verse in Scripture that God seeks throughout the whole earth going to and fro, looking for those that He's able to display His power. Are you taking an active part? See, Jesus didn't call them just to absorb His teaching. and They did absorb His teaching. Jesus called them to something else. They called them to become fishers of men. So the way He discipled was a little different in that they just didn't sit and listen to His teaching. They sat and listened to His teaching and then He told them to go do it. Right? Become an active part. Have you taken, have you heard his teaching? Are you active? You know, and there wasn't a big delay there. It's not like they'd be in him and then they grew up and then they went to college and then they got their career and then eventually they actually did something. No, before they even understood, they didn't understand anything. He had them going out and do stuff because that's what it means to be a disciple. Have you taken an active part? And and if so, what is it? What's your story? These men encountered Jesus Christ, heard this, and they they were at work and it happened, and they had to make a decision and change their life and then start doing stuff, and so they had a story to tell. Right? And we're reading that story right now, aren't we? And from reading that story, what happened to those people, that's called the good news. That's called the gospel. It's been changing people's lives for thousands of years. Okay, guess what? You're invited into the same thing. See, because when you tell your story of how you heard Jesus' call and, was, and, and responded by becoming an active participant, when you tell the, your story to someone else, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. So it's the gospel when we tell Peter and Andrew's story and James and John's story. But the intention of that is so that you know how to tell the story to your neighbor of how you know, I was called and now I'm doing this and it's changed my life. And then just like us hearing their story makes us go, wow, that's great. God can do that. God can give people a second chance to be something more than they could ever dream. Someone sees that in your life, that makes the gospel real and relevant for today. Right? So are you doing it? Good. Tell the people about it. All right? Become a fisher of men. Discipleship is community. Jesus didn't just call Peter. Say, Peter, I gotta teach you something. Come over to my house. We're gonna go through a Bible study. And five or six years from now, maybe we'll invite somebody else. 
right from the beginning called Peter and his brother Andrew because they needed to balance each other out. Uh, and then they immediately went and called James and John. So you see them calling them two by two and forming into a group. Just like these disciples, our relationship with Jesus is personal but not private. Say it's personal, personal. but not private. And I've said this before. This is a big theme. I think it's I think it's it's a cultural issue that is at the top of the list in our day is the understanding of this that uh, our our faith, our religion needs to be personal, but not private. And the whole world, the system is to is geared to make you keep your religion private. But private religion is just dangerous. Private religion that is not based in community is just as prone to corruption as public religion that has no personal relationship. Okay, so it's really easy to look at someone that's practicing a public religion that doesn't have a personal relationship with God and say, oh, they're a hypocrite. It's easy to point that finger. Uh, and to say that they're violating, you know, they're, they're, it's just a show. They just go to church as a show. They don't live it in their real life. Or, you know, da-da-da-da, here are some uh, big-name minister, and they're practicing some horrible lifestyle or sin. And you go, oh, see, that was, that's a public uh, religion. They didn't have it in their personal life. But it's just as dangerous to have uh, um, a private religion that's not lived publicly. All right? It, it's, it's just as prone to corruption. Uh, and, and, and it's supposed to be personal but not private. Anything that's held privately gets you just get corrupted and, and just twisted, um, and you get in your own ideas, and uh, there's no accountability, and it always ends in like really nasty stuff. Um, so think about that for a while. <coughs> God called the disciples from the beginning into community. Uh, and we see three important aspects of kingdom culture from just this one little passage. There's a personal call. You know, he actually said something to Peter and Andrew. Hey, Peter, you know, Andrew. I went down, James, John, not your dad. Sorry, dad, you're too old. <laughs> you know, what the dad thing? Great. Stuck with all the work again. <laughs> Heck, yeah, those kids, they just want to go out and have fun, you know. So there's a personal call. It's very personal. <clears throat> but that wasn't it. There's also intimate community. So from the beginning, it was personal part of a community. Jesus had four. Boom. And then twelve. You know, and then hundreds. Right? And then thousands. But it was always community. People want, oh, my relationship with Jesus it's just me and Jesus. And Jesus goes, no, it isn't. I mean, it is me and you. But, you know, what about the guy next to you? And another person. Because it's just me and them, too. And it's me and them and you. And you have to understand this. It's both. Yes, personal relationship. You can't have a real relationship with Jesus. It's not personal. But you can't have a real personal relationship with Jesus if it's private. And doesn't include intimate community. That's what Christianity is. That's what relationship with Jesus is. Um, and there's a purpose to reach others. So there's a personal call. There's intimate community. And there's a purpose. And that purpose is being fishers of men. And that's what kingdom culture is. It includes all three. 
And my question to you is, are you integrated into a community of discipleship, an intimate community of discipleship, like Jesus called these four guys? Are you involved in it? And that's the church. That's what this is supposed to be, this group. We're all, this is us. This is, this is what it is. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians 4.16. This is from, speaking of the church. Um, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And you just love that term, knit together. And we think, oh, somebody knitting. But the word can actually mean drive, like an impact uh, uh, driver. <laughs> Everybody, come on, let's make this a guy verse. All right? And go through concrete with this, baby. <laughs> you just want to use it, you know? <laughs> uh, and so drive together. <clears throat> and uh, uh, by what every uh, joint is to drive together, that is to unite in association or affection. Are you in a relationship with other believers that drives you? You know, and knits you, intertwines together in relationship with Christ. And the, and the image is of a joint. Every joint where two bones come together. And, and like my, my, my tibia and fibia. Is that right? Down here? <sighs> Tib, two bones down here, right? <laughs> tibia and fibia. <clears throat> Femur, Right? Patella, Patella, right? I know a guy named John Patel. (laughs) Hey, John, if you're listening. (laughs) Uh, Right? And so the impact. Now, uh, so if I jump like this, how much pounds have just transferred between my femur and my tibia and fibia of weight, right? I got to tell you my weight. Some of them, I know there's it's hundreds and hundreds. Every time I, you strike when you're running, right, and all that weight, and so it's driving together, and that's church. That's James and John, you know, and Peter and John, and John saying he loves me the best. <laughs> and when I write my book, that's what I'm going to say. But I'm not going to use my name because I'm humble. <laughs> and Peter said, well, I walked on the water, dude. <laughs> and John said, yeah, but you sank. <laughs> right? <clears throat> Grinding together. You know, how many have joint pain? Come on, people. All the young people. Like, I used to go up steps. I never could figure out why people would go up steps one step at a time. Because I'd go two or three at a time. Like, Jesus, you are slow. Now I know. It's like, wow. Wow. Praise God. It's like, steps haven't changed. Joint pain, you know what the best medicine for joint pain is? Like it, no. <laughs> that was a joke. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Please forgive me. You don't know how. Okay, the be- Thank you. Oh, guys, the best medicine for joint pain. Exercise. 
exercise, 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 go to the gym, ride the bicycle, walk, whatever you got to do. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. When I, when I miss a few weeks of exercise, oh, my joints hurt. But if I exercise every day, man, they just feel good. I'm good. And so you got pain in the relationship with other people. You need to exercise. You don't need to get away. You need to get involved. Because it's in the working together of those joints that the things get resolved. All right? And that's church. That's, that's discipleship. That's living life with Jesus. And he starts out with that. With two sets of brothers. Can you imagine what that really looked like? And they were in their 20s, so they all thought they knew what they were talking about and they didn't know anything. You know? They're all knuckleheads. And Jesus loved them. All right. Is your purpose as clear as the purpose Jesus gave these first disciples? To love, to live in that intimate community, right? It's to love, to live in love, to love, to love one another. By this, they'll know you're my disciples when you love one another. So they called them right from the beginning. We're going to all live together, guys. And, you know, Peter's like, what do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Sorry. I'm losing it. They lived and, you know, walked day in, day out in a community of faith. Uh, they, they loved one another. They demonstrated it and it, and it attracted all kinds of people. They're like, wow, what is the deal with this Jesus? They learned. They absorbed te- Jesus' teaching and his lifestyle. And then they led. Right? They were fishers of men right from the get-go. Jesus said, come on, come on, help me. We've got a job to do. We've got to reach these multitudes. And I said, after I actually wrote the notes, actually yesterday when I read through that, I was like, oh, juice. That's our mission statement. That's the shortened version of, of New Day's mission is loving, learning, and leading. And then following, finally, in verse 22, it says, Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And the, and the ready response, this is a quote from the commentary, the ready response of the fishermen here in verse 22 indicates the authority of Jesus' summons. It was not their first meeting. They actually, if you read John 135 and Luke 5.3, you'll see that the disciples had heard Jesus and, and had interactions with him before this call. Um, but it was the first time Jesus had demanded their literally leaving home to join him in his itinerant ministry. It did not involve disposing of home and property or of severing of family ties, but it would bring a complete disruption of their normal way of life. And so have you experienced a complete disruption of your normal way of life? They were at work. They had a career. They had a job to get done. Excuse me, teacher. What about these fish? What about dad and the nets? You got to leave those. Oh, well, you don't have to leave. But I'm I'm leaving. So you can stay in your life, or you can follow me. But you can't do both. That's a complete disruption. And so, have you had a complete disruption? If you had it, you probably haven't really met Jesus. It's like this song we sang this morning. Wasn't it worship intense? I have learned that God is unrelenting in a good way. He won't give up until he has your whole heart. But 
when you understand who you're being called. And it doesn't mean that you'll change jobs like these guys did. But it may mean that you'll change how you do your job or why you do your job. Are you willing to allow Jesus to completely disrupt your life? Do you believe Jesus enough, like Peter and Andrew, James and John, to leave what you thought was your life for a new life? Like the disciples, this is your chance, your opportunity to be personally trained in a close-knit community to become agents of transformation that will change the world. God bless you.